Welcome to another exciting episode of The Tax Efficient Investor. Listen in as host Michael Johnston demystifies tax-efficient tactics to help you grow your wealth. We break down complex tax strategies and make them simple to understand and easy to implement. From HSAs to IRAs, 1031s, trusts, and more, we cover it all here on The Tax Efficient Investor. Welcome to the show. I'm Michael Johnston. Joining me today to talk about tax-efficient investing is Sarah Sullivan. Sarah is the CEO and founder of Sugo Capital. Sarah, great to have you with me today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited too, because we're talking about something that I don't know a ton about is oil and gas investing and some of the the tax incentives that exist. So Sarah, before we talk about the, the what and the how of these tax incentives, Let's maybe talk about the why. Why do you know typically when tax incentives exist, it's because we have decided as a as a society, as legislatures, that we want to incentivize something. So what's the what's the rationale behind some tax incentives for the oil and gas sector? Yeah, so as far as I know, <laughs> the government um you have tax benefits for three types of investments, those in the food sector housing, and energy. And it's because the government wants to encourage people to put their money into those three sectors in order to grow domestic, or in order to have domestic growth in those industries. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, different things are phasing in and out over time and over decades and with different um, people in office. But whenever the government wants to encourage domestic production of something, yeah, they'll have some sort of uh, tax benefit. And so similar to real estate, where you have depreciation and loss that you can take, um, bonus depreciation loss that you can take in the first year, oil and gas is like that as well. I'm not familiar with how the food industry incentives work, but there are some there as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, we've, I mean, we've, it's worked. We've certainly made tremendous progress as a country over the last couple of decades of achieving uh, energy independence and not relying uh, as much on the Middle East as we as we used to. And there's a lot of our energy production. I believe in, in recent years, we've even become uh, a net exporter. So I suppose you could point to these some of these incentives as, as actually working, which is <laughs> it's always nice when things actually accomplish what they intend to, right? Yes. Um, so, so I think a lot of our audience is familiar with how tax incentives and some of the tax deductions that they can realize in the real estate world work, but there's some pretty meaty tax incentives in the oil and gas industry. And a lot of times, as you kind of alluded to, it comes in the form of being able to get these losses. But it, like I said, I know much less about this than I do about the real estate world. So uh, dive us deep into this. How, how do these tax incentives work? How are they potentially valuable for high net worth investors? They're really similar to real estate, except it can be applied to um, AGI or adjusted gross income. So it's not just your passive income. So you don't have to be a real estate professional to take advantage of this. It can apply to reduce your W-2 income tax. So that's one difference. Um, and another difference is that there's a cap on it. So you can only get $570,000 worth of uh, depreciation and loss or write down for uh, per year. But other than that, it works really the same. So you get a K-1 and it has depreciation and loss in section L of your K-1 that states, hey, you know, you put $100,000 into this investment, you get $75,000 of loss, which is the depreciation and loss pass through. And so, you know, at the end of the year, now your ending balance is 
$1,000. So similar to how you would read a real estate K-1 where you have depreciation and loss in your first year, it it's the same. The K-1 will look identical and Section L will look identical. Differences that you can, like I said, apply it to active income or W-2 income mm-hmm. or business income if you'd like to offset some taxes around that. And it works so- similarly that there is depreciation recapture as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that that's a pretty significant advantage though. So let's just dive into into that uh, AGI allowance for for a lot of real estate investors, the the passive losses that come through to you, the um the, the depreciation expense exceeds the income or the expenses exceed the income, so the investors get passed through a loss to them, but they're typically only able to uh use that loss to offset other passive income. Um, unless, as you mentioned, the the real estate, uh, being a real estate professional, but I believe that's a, a pretty high hurdle uh, to be able to achieve. You've got to spend a lot of time managing real estate. Most people, most people aren't. Um, but in, in oil and gas, you're able to use this. So you're able to use this to offset the income from your, your day job, your W-2. Uh, is that right? Yes, exactly. And I'll tell you the journey of how we got here. So as to go- yeah, please. We were primarily, well, we were 100% apartment syndicators, um, mm. fired 24 apartment complexes across Sunbelt um, and Texas. It was about 600 million assets under management. But all of our investors were saying, this is great depreciation and loss, but it doesn't apply to, you know, we're still paying high taxes on our W-2 income, on our business mm. income. Isn't there anything? And I was like, yeah, I've heard of these things, but... I don't really know that much about them. So last year we started doing research. Um, and even though I'm a real estate professional, my husband has a W-2 job. He works at Google. And so we started playing around like, oh, okay, so we'll take him as an avatar. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Silicon Valley, Google worker, high W-2. Um, what could he take advantage of? And so we started doing research and doing research. And so we found um, something that is really parallel to real estate development. Um, and it's this oil and gas fund. And so what it is, is land is acquired and they think that there's oil under under the ground, right? But there's nothing there yet. And then start drilling, 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 get some proof of concept, maybe get 20 wells producing and then sell as a package, the proof of concept, like here's all this land and it's probably got all this, you know, this volume of oil underneath it. Sure. And so it's similar to you buy a piece of land, you build an apartment complex, maybe you build one building and then you sell the next stage to another developer, or you completely lease it up and then you sell it to, um, you know, an institutional investor or something like that. So a lot of people say like, oh, oil and gas, you know, it's, it's risky. It is riskier. It's definitely riskier than an existing real estate property for sure. Um, And However, it is similar to development where it's like you you create something and then you sell it and there's a huge value add component. And um and so I think it's really it's really fascinating and and so we invested in it ourselves and we found some partners who are amazing operators and so the fund is across 200 pre-qualified sites and so it's drilling, it's producing um and actually just before we jumped on I looked at the price of oil. It's at $80, which is great. That's where it was when we started the fund. And then it dropped down to like 55 and everyone was scared. But we kept saying, you know, that's what it does is cyclical. 
And so, um, you know, it's similar to real estate where you, you sell according to net operating income, there's a multiple that predicts your exit price. And so if it's the price is at 50, that's not a good time to sell the rights to certain wells when it's at 80. Okay. If we have enough wells producing, it's a good time to say like, Hey, anyone want to buy, you know, this region or this section of what we've developed. Um, so those are kind of some parallels that we've seen. Yeah, absolutely. So you use, I want to go back to the ex- example you used of someone investing a hundred thousand dollars and then getting a, a $75,000, uh, pass through loss on their K1. Is that, is that a typical or is that a, an actual example? I mean, that seems like a huge amount of money to be getting uh, back in in the early years. Um, it it's coming back to you in the form of losses that you can offset uh, passive income, or excuse me, that you can offset active income even better. Mm-hmm. It is actual. Yeah. So, so how how are you? How are they able to get such a big a big chunk of it back? Is it similar to to a concept of bonus depreciation? Um, that a lot of folks are familiar with in, in real estate or how are you able to get so much of that uh, written off coming back to you as a loss in year one or two? Yes, exactly. It's really similar to that. Exactly. And we have, um, if anyone is interested, we have a worksheet in our investor portal that people can give to their CPA and it shows hmm. exactly how the um, tax advantages arrived at. And so you can put in um, information about yourself into certain cells information about your how much you're investing into certain cells and it'll mm-hmm. tell you how you know your exact situation depending on you know how much you put in etc how it will flow through and affect your personal taxes and so we have that for all of our investments in our investor portal um so if you're interested if you go to sugocapital.com at the bottom of the page is where all of our open investments are and so the oil and gas one if you register, you get access to the portal and that's in there. It's a tax worksheet. So yeah, so there's 75% um, loss in year one and then an additional 25% over year two and three. So it turns into 100% over three years. Now there is yeah. recaptures similar to in real estate. So as we start um, divesting some of the wells and some of the land in year three, four, and five, then there is recapture. Um, but at least you've saved it on the front end. So so that's excellent. And then um, also another piece of it is that only 85% of your income is from that investment is tax. So like if you make $100,000, your tax on is as if you received $85,000 of investment income. So and is that, that, that's due to being able to take the, the depletion allowance? Is, is that what that's related to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So that's that's at the um, essentially a 15 percent uh, reduction to um, the the net income, which means that there's there's less profit flowing through. Is that right? When uh, less profit on paper, um, which is means means fewer taxes, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. This is uh, this is fascinating. This is like real estate investing on on steroids in some way. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah bonus to our investors i was like i'm not sure if people are going to feel like it's too risky or too far away from their core investment portfolio and goals but no it was like it took us by a storm (laughs) people were like uh yes i want that that uh tax write down um i I see it's riskier though you know yeah sure so so let's let's talk about that a little bit i like to say that the the tail shouldn't wag the dog here you shouldn't chase uh, investments just because there's a, a nice tax benefit to it, but it should be something that 
uh, that should be the icing on the cake or the cherry on top is the, the tax advantages. So uh, oil and gas, obviously, there's a lot of larger institutional investors are facing various mandates and they're shifting uh, shifting away from oil and gas. Uh, I think, you know, that's clearly happening. That's a kind of an undeniable trend that whether you like it or not, we are transitioning to uh, to a, a greener sources of energy. But I think it's going to play out over the course of, of decades, uh, not years. You look at especially as you look around the world, like India is the most populous country in the world. They're aiming to be carbon neutral by uh, 2060, I think, or 2070. So um, what, I'm looking at my calendar here. That's what, 37, 47 years from now. Um, make the bull case for oil and gas uh, investments outside of the, the tax advantage. Yeah, so you, you're you exactly right. There, there is a, a push and a lot of sentiment, especially here. I live in San Francisco Bay Area. So mm-hmm. a lot of people did not invest in this fund from the Bay Area because they're very green and mm-hmm. conscious around their investments and, you know, using your dollar to vote and all of that. Um but yes, I'll give you an example. One of our investors is um, the COO at one of the largest green energy firms. Um, I won't say his name, but I'll say it's one of the largest. And he invested half a million because he was looking to reduce his W-2 income. And he knows how much we need oil, even given that you know he's in the green energy space, like he's all sure. in, right? um, but he knows the timeline. He's like, we're going to be out of this investment in five years. and like the transition's not happening for a while. And he knows how much oil we need in order to make the transition to green energy. So he's like, people are kind of blind to the fact that in order to make fuel cells for vehicles, in order to make all these renewable energy, green energy um, sources and, and basically the products around it, they're using a ton of oil to create it. So he's like, we need it, we use it. And just because we're going towards green energy does not mean we're not going to use oil to, you know, for the long term. So yeah, that's you know, right. straight from COO of a renewable energy company. So it's like, well, can I use your story? And he's like, yeah, just don't use my name. <laughs> I think that's absolutely right. Right, These these solar panels and, and windmills are not falling out of the sky. They need to be, uh, it's a pretty resource intensive process to to build these or the the electric uh, vehicle batteries that you alluded to, Sarah, mm-hmm. uh, that that takes, you know, somewhat ironically, it takes a lot of oil and gas uh, to build those things, as well as the fact that in a lot of the developing world, uh, they're kind of in earlier innings than, than we are here. Uh, you know, there's a, the stereotype of Americans, we, you know, couldn't point out Europe on a map and kind of are singularly focused um, at home. But, you know, around the world, I think there's a lot of people still being lifted out of poverty. Uh, and that's going to play out over the, the coming decades and oil and gas you know, for better or worse plays a, a big part in that. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. So I want a little bit more about the about the energy fund. You mentioned that there's 200 pre-qualified sites. So those those are throughout the country. Uh, where are those where are those located? Yes, throughout the country. So it's kind of if you look at Texas, it's shaped like a backwards L. <laughs> mm-hmm. So out in the west side of Texas and then north through some states there. So there's on um, five different basins that have been identified and land leased and 200 pre-qualified sites across those five basins. And so it's really similar to if you think about a real estate fund, like if you invest mm-hmm. in one well, mm-hmm. you're investing in 
one single family home rental. Like if this well comes up dry, you lose all your money. If you yeah. don't have a renter in this one door, then you have no income and you're putting money into paying the mortgage or whatever it is. So I always tell people, you know, it's less risky the more diversified you are, the more doors you have. So like in my mind, an apartment building is less risky than a single family home. And so I think the same about this diversified energy fund is that it's less risky because there's 200 pre-qualified sites and they're drilling and so far gotten through drilling five wells, two were not producing. That's okay. Move on. We've got some others to go drill. And so it reduces the risk having that uh, diversification. It also dilutes the, the profits. So like the well, that's just like the cash cow, right? Hmm. It's not from just those expenses. It's diluted across. Well, you know, there were these others that, you know, there were expenses to drilling those. Um, so it reduces risk, um, but it also kind of normalizes or levels the profit. Um, and so I'm kind of going in a tangent here, but bringing it back, um, it is more risky, or, you know, drilling for oil than buying an sure. apartment building. Um, so what can you do to reduce your risk is to join a fund that's diversified. Um, or, or you know, invest a little in a bunch if you if you can't find a diversified fund, um, but you have some opportunities for a bunch of different wells. Don't go all in on one well or one operator. Diversify across regions, um, and then also there's um, a technical process to pre-qualify sites so that okay. there's um, basically like a uh, like a metric that tells you how likely and how much oil is below this point. Um, and so find different operators who are using the latest technology and see, you know, ask them like how accurate have your predictions been in the past and what technology are you using today to figure out where you're going to like exactly put that drill because it, it's very exact, right? And if you've seen them, they're, they're not like as big as a house. <laughs> the section that's drilled is actually quite, quite narrow, those cylinders. So you want to be precise. Yeah, so they're not just throwing darts at a map and saying, "Let's go go buy some land here." There's some uh, technical expertise or technical metrics that they're able to do to uh, identify parcels of land that they think have better odds, relatively, of uh, mm -hmm. black black gold. Is that what they call it? Of striking it rich. Yeah. Um, Okay, great. And you mentioned you have so you have some partners, obviously, on this. So how have you identified? Um, you know, you mentioned that your background is in uh, is in real estate, and there's there's some similarities, but um, you didn't you know grow up uh, in the oil and gas industry. So, no. who are your partners? How did you find the partners uh, in this yeah. fund? Yeah, so my partners are operators who've been in the industry for generations, um, and who they themselves have been working in in the industry for twenty to thirty years. Um, and so, how did I find them? Well, I just started asking. You know, so like you can do your research on Google and you'd find your company, you'd find my company. We all put our best information forward, right? And you can only do so much due diligence. But if you ask your friends and family, hey, are you investing in oil? Who has been a performing operator for you? Um, that's how I began my research was I just, I know a ton of people in this investing world, right? And, um, and so I just started asking people like, I wanna go into oil and gas. Who's a great operator? Who's a great operator? Who's a great operator? I think that's the best first step in due diligence. 
And a lot of my investors as well on the real estate side, they tell me, hey, I have investments with these different operators and here's how they're performing. Um, and so then I reach out and I get to know them because it's one thing to put your money with someone. It's another thing to partner. So there's another layer of due diligence that I did around what do they look like as partners and, um, you know, investor communications and relations and that whole side of things. Uh, but it was about um, it was about a year of due diligence that we went through uh, looking for a partner on this. And yes, we're not the operators, <laughs> which is a good thing, which I tell yeah. all my existing investors because they're used to me being, you know, the, the operator in real estate. And I'm like, right. yeah, the good thing I'm not the operator. I don't know exactly where to drill, um, but I know the people who know where to drill and how to drill. And, you know, if you don't hit it, how to correct and, you know, go this way and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. yeah, you 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 focus what you're good at, good at, and you you find and uh, people you can trust, trustworthy partners to to outsource the rest to. Um, so, kind of summarizing here, the the incentive, the, the what's appealing to our audience, who's who's the uh, high net worth investors interested in tax efficient investing in the oil and gas sector, you've got an opportunity to offset potentially a substantial portion of your your AGI of your W two income by getting pass-through losses, potentially up to 75% of your initial investment uh, in the first year coming through on a K-1. So a lot of folks are familiar with real estate investments where you can only offset the passive. This is potentially better because you can use it to offset your uh, your active income. And that's what's generally taxed at the highest rates, the, the least tax efficient. Um, and then additionally, there's the, the potential through the, de the depletion allowance to offset uh, to reduce the, the gross income that's coming through, knock 15% off of that so that once you do become profitable, that reduces the uh, the amount that you're paying taxes on. And I'd like to add two more points. Um, yeah, please. Um, a lot of our investors, they came up with this with their CPAs and I was like, oh, I should pass hmm. this on. Um, folks who wanted to roll some of their traditional IRA into a Roth IRA, Mm. They were okay. then using money outside of the IRA to invest in this oil fund because that's a taxable event, right? Doing that roll. Yeah. So it rolls yeah. in GI. So not using your IRA to do the investment, but taking a chunk of money outside of your IRA and making the investment because this taxable event can be offset by this investment out here. Um, and so a lot of people were using it for that as well. So if you have any traditional IRAs, you want to roll over to a Roth, um, and that creates a taxable event, this can help reduce taxes around that as well. I love that. So for folks who are going to be, they've got a traditional IRA, they're going to roll it into a Roth, which means uh, that's a taxable event, as Sarah said, you're going to pay taxes at ordinary income rates there. Mm -hmm. But if you do it in the same year as this, then you've got your conversion as a taxable event. So that jacks up the taxes that you have to pay that year. You make this investment, you get these pass through losses, and that essentially offsets it. And you do a conversion, getting money from a traditional to a Roth is great because then there's no more taxes. Once you've got it in Roth, you're never paying taxes. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's kind of like a, a free Roth conversion, essentially, if you, uh, you you can you can do the conversion and use the losses from this to offset the tax liability. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to say is in order to um, get the tax uh, advantages, you need to invest in your name. And so a lot mm. of real estate investors, that's kind of new to them because they're used to a holding company for their real estate investments. So technically, when 
when um, you subscribe, you're a GP in this fund, mm. you're a partner. And so, for instance, I subscribe as Sarah Sullivan, not as my holding company or my LLC or any entity. It's in my name. However, at the end of um, the tax year, once you've taken your, your tax advantages, if you want to then transfer it into the name of an LP or something like that, um, mm. sorry, into the name of an LLC or something like that, you can do that. So that's an adjustment for a lot of real estate investors. So just know that up front. Um, I don't own anything in my name except for this oil and gas. Mm. So a lot of people said, oh, well, what's the risk? I don't want to put my real estate holdings at risk by holding this you know, GP ownership in my name. But then I said, well, if all your real estate is in an entity that, it, you know, it's not in your name, then you already have an asset protection structure in place. Um, and also the the fund has uh, insurance to protect the um, the partners, the, the investors. So you okay. can transition and become an LP later and use an LLC later. You can do that right away if you want, actually, but you just don't get the tax advantages. Um, same with your IRA. If you want to use your self-directed IRA to invest, you can. However, you don't get the tax advantage. You can't use that to reduce your W-2 income tax. Um, right. So you you can invest in all these different ways, but in order to get the, you know, reduce your W-2 income tax, you do have to sign up in your personal name. So I wanted to, to clarify that because that sits fine with some people and other people are like, no, um, but, you know, talk to your asset protection a professional about that and see how it could work for you. Right. Got it. Okay. That's, that's great. That's a great to point out another little, little wrinkle there compared to real estate. A lot of similarities, a lot of differences, uh, generally positive differences from real estate. Um, so let's bow on the, the tax efficient investing and the oil and gas. We've got a few minutes left here, uh, Sarah, and we were talking, you're a Renaissance woman. I mean, you got real estate, you got oil and gas, and then you're involved in, in uh, AI a little bit too. Um, I, I thought it was a fascinating conversation we were having before we hit the record button here. So uh, I think the audience would find it interesting as well. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing with, with AI and uh, the bot, Steady Eddie. Steady Eddie, yes. So um, we started um, doing some different trading strategies around anything volatile. So, you know, we originally got into commercial real estate because it's not volatile. Um, but then in the last year, it's become a little bit more volatile than it's ever been, right? And so it feels a little less peaceful. I mean, I'm, I still invest a lot in real estate, but we were looking for other things that in times of volatility, how can we profit? And mm -hmm. so um, we learned some different tra trading strategies that take advantage of volatility. So basically doing a bunch of trades in a day returning to a cash position at the end of the day, not banking on, I'm going to invest for a long-term hold in this commodity. Um, so we were executing on that. You have highs when you have a great day, and then you have lows emotionally when you don't have a great day. And so what we thought was, this is a great strategy, but it's really emotional and inconsistent. How can we make it consistent? So there's an algorithm that we have now, and it executes the strategy, and it follows the rules. So we were talking about like at your when you're at a casino, the house always wins, right? And why is that? Because they follow the rules. They have a strategy, they have limits, and you have to execute according to those rules and limits. And so the house always wins. And those who are there and they have a strategy, but their emotions get in the way. And sometimes they make a move because they're getting a little greedy or they feel a little scared that they lost too much. Then that is really what gets in the, you know, messes up. Um, from the patron always winning. 
And so taking that same theory and applying it saying, hey, this is a great strategy, but let's have an algorithm run it, basically have a bot run it. And so we call it Steady Eddie because if you follow the rules, because I, I literally uploaded the, the four-month graph to the investor portal and it's like every day it just does a thing and it just goes up a little bit every day. And before when we were doing it manually, it was like boom, boom, boom. And, and so that wasn't really comfortable, right? Um, and so we've put that together because a lot of our investors in real estate distributions have stopped in real estate. And so they said, what else cash flows and what else is steady and dependable? And so I said, well, hey, we're doing this for ourselves. And I did a survey and we had 500 people respond and say, I want that. Hmm. So I said, okay, we'll build that. Um, same strategy we're using. We put a fund around it. And so investors can come in and get those consistent distributions every month kind of replacing that passive income they used to feel in real estate that they're not feeling anymore. Because um, what we love to do at Sugo Capital is bring passive income, wealth building and tax efficient um, investing strategies. And so this is rounding out the, how do we provide that that passive income that's dependable? And so that's the algorithm that just you know executes according to the conservative limits every day. And it just, it's hands off. You know, I mean, for the investors and for me, then the person running the bot has to make some adjustments, but it's um, pretty hands off. What you just described is beautiful. That kind of slow, steady uh, upward grab. I mean, for for any investor, that's uh, that's what you dream of. Um, and you know, we're as investors, we're we're all our own worst enemies, right? The behavioral piece of this is uh, is a, a negative headwind for a lot of investors, myself included. I've done so many dumb things because. Uh, emotions have gotten the better of it. And you have kind of an instinct of doing the, the worst possible thing at the worst possible time. Right. Uh, so we can certainly appreciate the the importance of having a system, uh, having rules and, and taking emotions out of it. Um, Sarah, this has been great. We've, we've talked about a lot here. Where can folks go who want to learn more about you? I know you mentioned you've got some additional resources on your site uh, that we can put in the show notes, but where can folks go to learn a little bit more about you and your funds? Yeah, the best place is to go capital.com. On the front page, there is something called an ROI calculator. And if you download that, it will give you um, a snapshot of all of our open investments and how they pay out over time. So if it's like, oh, this one's a 20% annualized return over five years, it shows you your one through five, how it plays out. If this one's, you know, a 3x equity multiple in three years, you put in that and it plays it out. So it's really, it's a spreadsheet, but it has live information about our live investments. So you can put different dollar amounts in and see how your combined portfolio would play out for you. And then those investments are also at the bottom of the page on Sugo Capital. Whatever we have open, you can click and go through to the data room and see the details. Love it. That's great. This will surprise no one. I'm a spreadsheet nerd. So uh, you're, you're speaking my language here, talking about spreadsheets that you plug assumptions into and watch those numbers dance around. Yeah. Um, well, Sarah, this has been great. I want to thank you again. I learned something today. I'm sure a lot of our listeners did too. So uh, thanks a ton for joining me today. Oh, I love talking about investing and tax efficiency and tax strategy. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to speak. All right. And thanks everyone for tuning in. We will be back soon with another episode. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.